Our scripture reading this evening is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. That can be found on page 1269 in your pew Bibles. We'll also be reading a portion, the first portion of Belgic Confession, Article 29, which can be found on page 185 in your Forms and Prayers book. little explanation on this text before we begin. Tonight we will be looking at the marks of the church. There are three of them, preaching, sacraments, and discipline. Rather than read texts on the sacraments and discipline, which we did read a couple weeks ago when we went through the Belgian Confession Article 28, we're going to read one text that deals with preaching. And to understand that the texts that instituted the sacraments are as well those that the Belgic has used to determine what are the marks of the church. But to this evening we'll just look at preaching. Before we read God's word, let's pray. Father in heaven, as we turn to your word, we pray that you would indeed be present here through your spirit to open our hearts, that we would see the church, to see the gift that it is. We pray that we would approach it in humility, recognizing your great authority in what is read. We do not hear the words of man, we hear the words of God. May we respond then in fear and awe, an appropriate trembling at what we hear in the power of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 8. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Just a, This is a, what we might call a throwaway comment, and I don't mean that to demean what I'm going about to say, but just that this isn't tied to our topic and message this evening. But that last verse, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And we pause there and say, well, yes, Paul, that's, that's good for you. You're Paul. You should receive that. And he continues, And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Beautiful expression of our Lord, of what we are. We are those who love the appearing of Christ, the appearing of our God. Pay attention there, then, in this text, to the proclamation to preach, to preach what is sound, and to understand that in the last days there would become those who would teach what men want to hear to fulfill itching ears. And now we turn to 
the Belgic Article 29 to read the marks of the true church. We are going to read half of it now, just as we did with Article 28, because of the importance and relevance of this topic for today. We're going to break Article 29 up into two messages as well. Article 29, the marks of the true church. We believe that we ought to discern diligently and very carefully by the word of God what is the true church. For all sects in the world today claim for themselves the name of the church. We are not speaking here of the company of hypocrites who are mixed among the good in the church and who nonetheless are not part of it, even though they are physically there. But we are speaking of distinguishing the body and fellowship of the true church from all sects that call themselves the church. The true church can be recognized if it has the following marks. The church engages in the pure preaching of the gospel. It makes use of the pure administration of the sacraments as Christ instituted them. It practices church discipline for correcting faults. In short, it governs itself according to the pure word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it and holding Jesus Christ as the only head. By these marks, one can be assured of recognizing the true church and no one ought to be separated from it. And that's as far as we'll read in the article of the Belgic. An interviewer on the street was asking people about their opinion of the church, Jesus, Christianity. What did people say? And as you'd expect, the answers represented a wide variety, and there was no common consensus given as to what the true church or what the church was, who even Christ was. Many thought Jesus was a great man, but that Christians were crazy, scary, hypocrites, ignorant, and bigots. But Some people said of the church and of Christians. Others described the church as a place for Christians to gather. That's getting at least a little more positive. Others, an institution that tells you what to do. Now we're a little bit more negative, but perhaps some truth to that. Others say a place to study God. Others said fellowship with other believers. And this is my favorite description given by one man who simply described the church as it's a pretty cool place. And yes, it is. We end on that positive description of the church. It is indeed a pretty cool place, but does that really help us in any way? And I know, we all know the answer is, of course not. Of course not. How do you determine what is the true church from what people's opinions were in there? Is it a place? Well, no one would want to go to a place where there are crazy, scary, hypocrites, ignorant, and bigots. Well, we would know, well, that's not where you'd want to go, so that wouldn't help us there. Well, is the place, is is a true church simply where Christians gather? It is that, but uh, how do you determine if it's true or false? Is any church, is anywhere Christians gather, is that a church? Is it a place to simply study God, or does that make our our bedroom when we have devotions our, our church? How do we see it? What is the true church? And that's the significance that's a, a million-dollar question in reality. We might not think it. It might seem a bit, a, a bit obscure. Why does it matter? Well, it matters because of all that preceded. Remember, we went through Article 27 that defined what the church is, the attributes of the church. It's one, holy, Catholic, it's apostolic, it endures, it perseveres, it's washed in Christ's blood. That's the definition of a church with its attributes. And then you got to Article 28, and it was describing the obligation to join it. And you see the Belgic is building an argument. It's saying this is what the church is, and you must join it. And now it's saying, and this is what it is. 
And so that's what the Belgic Confession does. It describes here how you determine what is a true church and what is a false church, which is a vital question. If you're going to go to a restaurant and you know that there is restaurants out there that provide the nourishing food that's good and wholesome and healthy for you, and there are restaurants out there that lace the food with poison and that will ultimately either adversely affect your health or kill you, you'd want to know the difference, which is the true restaurant, which is the true place to be fed and nourished. Where will my praise and worship of God be acceptable to him? Who wears the place where I will be guided and shepherd? Where's the place where I will be disciplined? That's an important one. Where's that place of God's care? Where's the true church? And so we give, are given these three marks, the three marks of the church, and they're very helpful. And they're especially helpful today when they seem so largely ignored and not, not known. You know, we don't just want to keep these as something to tell the elders when you're making profession of faith, here's the marks of the church, I know it. No, it's something we use, it's something we determine, it's something we evaluate our own churches by. Are, are we as the church doing this? When we are looking at other churches, are other churches doing these three things and doing it well? That's why the Belgic will say the pure preaching of God's word, administering the sacraments the way they ought. Having discipline for those who need correction. All those are carrying it out properly, doing it well. The stakes are high when joining a true church. Last time we had said how for the, the church, at the time the Belgic was written, the stakes were very high. The stakes of joining a church and declaring what was a false church was to face even burning at the stake, to face martyrdom, or at least to face the ostracization of your, your life. This is the church, the Roman Catholic Church, that's it. And then to make a stand there and say it's false and to join a true one was a huge step. We're getting closer and closer to that today as well. I was listening to a podcast by Al Mohler. Many of you might know his name. He said that our culture is moving towards the position where even membership in a certain church or denomination will cause termination of employment or disqualify one from even being considered for a job. That's already where we're heading. Your religious affiliation, where you go and what church you're joined to might be the deciding factor whether or not you can keep your employment. Now, that's not necessarily on the level of persecution, but we're starting to see what this might cost. And so the stakes are high in a worldly sense, and yet we could say they're much higher than that. Because to fail to join a true church, you face the stakes of a weak faith, losing your faith. You need to be fed by a true church. That's how important this is. This has everything to do with the faithfulness to Christ to persevere. It's, this message in many ways as, as the theme, as the intent of it, will be very similar to what we heard this morning, and that actually makes sense. It makes sense because, as we saw this morning, what James was doing in trying to apply the gospel to their life, we come in with the Belgic as well, and we see, well... That's what's going on here, too. What's going on here, too, is how these marks matter. These marks matter because we're trying to live for Christ. And part of living for Christ will be to join ourselves to a true church. And so our theme this evening are, is that the marks of the church are a means to an end, the end being strong faith in Christ, producing pure worship of God. The marks of the church are a means to an end. 
I say that because the marks of the church and simply knowing them do us no good, and that's not why we're studying them. We're studying them for a purpose, and that purpose is that our faith in Christ would be strong and produce pure worship of God. That's what the marks do for the people of the church. We've seen that, how important it is to apply the gospel to every aspect of life, and that is no less true in this question, what is the true Church. You see that the Belgic introduces two possible entity, entities. You see the true church and the false church, and how we are to dis- distinguish between them. And this is very important. We cannot confuse this. They're all around us. We have to use these marks to determine this. It was Daniel Defoe who said, Wherever God erects a house of prayer, the devil always builds a chapel there, and it will be found upon examination the latter has the largest congregation. Our little throwaway illustration of these restaurants that might have poison laced in their food, it would, it would be dangerous, and it is dangerous, to hear that the majority of the restaurants actually seem to be those that are producing a poisonous food. It's amazing to actually think that could we even say it? I think we can and should. A majority of churches are producing some kind of poisonous gospel. That raises the stakes and the importance of determining what these marks are. And so we see the marks of the church first being preaching. Pure preaching of God's word. And it's not just any preaching. It's not just that you have a man standing up and he talks or teaches. It must be the pure doctrine of the gospel. If it is not the pure doctrine of the gospel, this mark has failed and we aren't fulfilling it. So there's a certain type of preaching, that gospel, that Christ is the Savior, that he alone is the Savior, that teaches the triune God and all of that beauty and teaches the infallibility of God's word. These are all aspects of what the true church teaches and must teach. We read it in 2 Timothy. What did Paul tell Timothy to do? He charged him to preach the word. That's what Timothy was called to do. And it was through that that he would accomplish his ministry. He would accomplish all that God had called him to do, to rebuke, to train, to exhort from God's word expecting that in the process he would make no friends, but he would feed God's people. That's Paul's ministry itself, as he awaited that crown that we read about. That crown that he would receive is a a blessing for his appreciation, his grasp, his faith in the word of God and what he preached. Another passage that shows us this is one we're familiar with from Galatians chapter 1. It's Paul again when he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Then Paul says this, Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The marks of the church, that pure preaching of the gospel, isn't pleasing to man. It isn't, as Second Timothy would say, what the itching ears of those want to hear. And so they fashion and form for themselves false teachers to give them a poisonous food, one that won't nourish 
At best, it will only keep you where you're at and not bring forth growth. At worst, it will lead you to hell, is what Paul says. The pure preaching of God's word. And there are several warnings I want to give to us from this text, three of them, from this mark, I mean, in preaching. The first warning is regarding the content of preaching. That's what we're already talking about. We need to be warned that in the mark of the church of preaching, it describes a specific content, and that is the gospel of Christ by salvation, through faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, for God's glory alone. That is the content of the pure preaching of God's word. Many churches are neglecting that. Many churches don't preach that. We must be able to state the gospel clearly. We must understand and know what the true gospel is, that we can determine that isn't the gospel. That's not the true teaching. That's from these false teachers who are giving to men what they want to hear. To satisfy itching ears that ultimately doesn't lead to salvation and doesn't produce a strong church. It's amazing to me how many churches find themselves chasing their tails as they're just going in circles trying to figure out, well, what's going to make us a strong church? I've seen this of Reformed churches where they have to form committees and do all these things to determine, well, what what are we after here? And they neglect the very confessions that tell them, this is what the Bible told you to do. Focus on these things. These are the marks. This is what you should pursue. And as you pursue these things, everything else will take its course. It will be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled well when these marks are being fulfilled. So the first warning is regarding that content. The second warning is regarding the practice of preaching. Here's what I mean. We must be warned to be devoted to preaching and not to other means. We, in our human wisdom, want to substitute preaching with many other opportunities. We want to replace preaching with videos and programs, theater and props, concerts, and you know the rest. Well, the warning then is to be devoted to exactly what Paul had charged Timothy to do, preach. Preach the word. Administer the sacraments. Discipline. That is what we must do. And in preaching, you must have that practice. We have to understand what's appropriate in worship. We have to understand what authority the church has. And the church's authority is a declarative ministerial authority to declare God's word, not to tamper with the means of worship, not to tamper with the means and marks that God has given the church. One final warning from this mark. And that's what I'll call the idol of preaching. So we've seen that content of preaching, we've seen the practice of preaching, and now we see the idol of preaching. How, what do I mean by that? Well, the mark is the pure preaching of the gospel, and that's the goal. And sadly, sometimes what we find ourselves doing is idolizing something else and not just the gospel. You see, sadly, sometimes, we must be warned by this, we can hide behind or confuse a staunch stance on the marks of the church and on preaching, and what we're actually saying is we want a certain kind of preaching. Or that we can critique preaching and hide behind something, and what we're actually doing is we're not really concerned if the gospel was proclaimed and if God's word was clearly shown and if it was applied through Christ to us. That's not really our concern. Our concern is that we want it easy to listen to. 
want it entertaining. We want it given to us this certain way. And we need to be warned by that. We need to be warned that the mark of the church is not a very easy-to-understand explanation of the gospel. That is what we strive for. But what I've heard too often from those who leave churches that are doing it well, that are preaching God's word, that are seeking to carry out these marks of the church, you hear too often those who say, I'm just not getting anything out of the sermon. It's just not interesting, or I get bored. Perhaps that is a mark on the listener and not what the church is doing. We need to be warned by that, and that's a particular danger for us. Why? Why is it a particular danger for us? Because we do prize preaching, and it's good that we do. We ought to, but we need to make sure that we're weighing it and evaluating it accordingly. Is the gospel proclaimed? Is Christ front and center? Is it pure? And then we get at the other marks in a moment. But this is what we do with preaching. Sometimes we need to, need to set aside what is our own personal desires and likes and evaluate it according to God's word. That's what the church is called to do. So first we see the mark is the pure preaching of God's word. Second we see the mark, the second mark of the church is the pure administration of the sacraments. The Belgic says that it maintains the pure administration of the sacraments as instituted by Christ. And that's an important last little phrase, as instituted by Christ. Our sacraments are those that Christ himself instituted. It's not what the church has just deemed to be appropriate. We don't add to their number. We take what Christ has given to us, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now on a surface, we might question, is the sacraments or are the sacraments that important? Why is that a mark of the church? I think that can speak to sometimes our our neglect, the importance of what the sacraments are. We have to understand that the misuse of the sacraments are detrimental. Detrimental on two sides when we add too much to them or take too much away. When you add too much to the sacraments, you have corrupted the gospel itself. When you add too much to the sacraments and say you're saved because of your baptism, you are saved in the act of baptism, or that your sins are forgiven and washed away, at least temporarily so, because you had the Lord's Supper, we've obliterated the gospel and lost it. You see how damning that is to the church. That's what was happening during the Belgics' own origin. The sacraments and their misuse were destroying people's lives because you could think to yourself, it doesn't matter what I do. If I go and take the Lord's Supper, those sins will be washed away. Or you had so many who would wait to be baptized. Let me be baptized close to the end of my life because that will wash away all of my sins and then I'll be saved. You see that putting your hope in a misunderstood sacrament actually kills you. And so that's why it's so important and a distinguishing mark of the church. A misuse of a sacrament is very detrimental. But it is on the other side, too. If you don't put enough meaning, if you don't understand what the sacraments are, you're neglecting the very thing Christ instituted. You're neglecting the very means of grace that God has given to us to strengthen our faith so that we can visibly see the gospel portrayed, that we can use it to its fullness. And so you have a certain starvation in a church that doesn't practice the sacraments well that way, and then you have a certain death in the churches that practice it in such a way where you're clinging to the sacraments. No, we understand that salvation is through Christ. We are saved in Him, and the sacraments point us to that. 
We partake of them in true faith through the Spirit. We are strengthened, but the sacraments are not what save, nor are they empty gestures. That's very important in churches. Let's not neglect to ask that question. Are our churches understanding what the sacraments are? Do we understand what the sacraments are? We putting too much faith where we should not. The third mark of the church is discipline. This is perhaps the most neglected of all the marks of the church, the most unpopular. Yet we should see that this mark is really the mark of discipleship. This mark is really one that presents so much care to God's people. Discipline, as one author wrote, discipline promotes God's holiness, protects the church from infection, and restores the rebellious making clear the seriousness of their resistance to Christ's word and church. We have seen, and I've seen firsthand, what happens to churches that neglect this mark. They sort of limp around for a little while. Perhaps they're, they're preaching, perhaps they're even performing the sacraments and doing that well, and yet not carrying out this mark. And especially when a church does this on a, on a federation or denomination level, what ends up happening is the church's corruption, its demise. I'll illustrate this with, if you're going to grow a garden and expect vegetables and produce to grow in it, what happens if you don't weed? Is that garden destined to be fruitful? Is that garden destined to last? No. See, when you phrase it that way, how important discipline is as a mark of the church, and yet so many churches just don't even do it, don't even carry it out. I think sometimes it, it sneaks up on us because we don't think we need discipline. You know, if you're going to join a church and you like the way they're preaching, you like the sacraments and, and how they're carrying it out, you like all these things about the church, they don't discipline, you would probably think to yourself, it's okay, I mean, I think they probably should do that, but I don't need it, and that's just... Just foolish. Discipline there is, as we don't, we always take it to that end. We always take it to excommunication. That's not what it is. It's, it's that at its end. The discipline is the care of the spiritual leaders who are shaping you, helping you. Yes, correcting you. We need that. And we can't be so proud as to place ourselves in those churches that are neglecting that mark. It's vital. We need it, and even if we personally don't ever have and come under discipline, what about our children? What about their children? Have we sowed seeds in our own family of destruction by placing ourselves in a church that wasn't carrying out these marks and carrying them out well? We have to ask that question. It is. It's dangerous. Just as a reminder with what we're doing here, again, the marks of the church are a means to an end. We're just focusing on these means right now, but let's not forget the end goal. The end goal is that service to Christ. The end goal is that faith in him. That's the purpose for this. That's the purpose of the application. That's the purpose for the marks of the church. That's why we know and teach them. That's why we fulfill them. It is for Christ. So these three marks are the marks of the church. By these three marks, the true church can be found, and you will know what is the true church. But one final point. 
You can see it in your outline. It's an important distinction. More pure and less pure churches. And I want to clarify something. If you, we didn't read it, but if you turn in your Belgic to the end, the end of Article 29, the last paragraph says, these two churches, referring to the true church and the false church, these two churches are easy to recognize and thus to distinguish from each other. Now that phrase brings some scorn against the Belgic. Many will say, you see, that's, that's overstepping. It's not so easy to discern that. It's not so easy to distinguish that. Now, what the Belgic was doing in its context was it, was it was dealing with a Roman Catholic church and a radical Reformation groups, both who were quite clearly not fulfilling these marks. And so in its time and place, it could say, by these marks, the true church is easy to discern. And I would say that those three marks, that, that's still the case in those three marks today. Those remarks are very helpful when you're evaluating other churches and you take these three points, the pure preaching, the pure administration of sacraments and discipline, and you apply them to this church as a body and as a whole. Are they carrying these things out? You will very quickly determine whether it is a true or false church in many cases. But I want to turn to our Presbyterian brethren and a distinguishing mark they make or a point they make that helps. You would turn in the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnals to page 935. And I want us to turn there just so that we actually see that the Westminster Confession is there. It's there and we can learn from it. It is a great example of Reformed doctrine. And they give us a helpful distinction here in chapter 25, points 4 and 5. Chapter 25, points 4 and 5 of the Westminster Confession. It says this, This Catholic Church hath been sometimes more, sometimes less visible, and particular churches, which are members thereof, are more or less pure, according as the doctrine of the gospel is taught and embraced, ordinances administered and public worship performed more or less purely in them. And number five, the purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error, and some have so degenerated as to become apparently no churches of Christ. Nevertheless, there shall be always a church on earth to worship God according to his will. Now, why is that helpful? It's helpful to understand that it isn't yet, as the Belgic could be misinterpreted, We don't want to misinterpret it and think it's easy to distinguish all churches everywhere on a local level and if they're they're true or false. See, what the Westminster is saying is that there may be and in fact are churches that carry out the marks of the church, that carry out their commission by God in a more pure or a less pure way. And the reason that matters is because this allows us as Christians to be patient and forbearing allows us to understand that there may be churches who aren't doing everything right, but are nevertheless not false churches. You see, it allows us to see that there isn't this, all right, you're either true or you're either false in the sense that everything is either perfect or bad, if that makes sense. What the Westminster is saying is that there, even in, even the purest church you can think of, is failing in some ways, isn't as pure as it ought to be. 
there is impurity in these ways. And so that gives us grace. That gives us grace not only to others, to other churches, where we don't have to just label them, well, that's a false church. It takes a lot of wisdom and discernment, but you use the marks as the key. Where those marks are obliterated and have failed, well, that is a false church. And yet there are others who are still our brothers, who are still carrying out the gospel, who are still faithful in many ways, and yet not carrying out purely. This distinction also helps us to be discerning, though. It helps us to be able to say, yes, we aren't denying that this is true, that you are a true church, but that these areas that you're doing are not right, or are more impure, or not as they should be. So it helps us in our relationships to each other, but it also helps in our relation to our own church. This also means that we are able to forbear with our churches when our churches don't do everything they should. And the answer isn't just to drop membership at a moment's notice because a church may have erred, which happens. When a church is in error, the correct response of its members then isn't to label it, well, it must be a false church, we must depart from it. It would be, the correct response would be to your congregation where your this is your family, these are your members in Christ. It would be to seek to purify it. It would be to seek to be that influence rather than simply one to cut itself off. It helps us forbear, even with our own church. That's why these marks are vitally important. All of this is for the sake of Christ a recognition of our need for him, a recognition of our need for each other. And that just, that gives God so much praise. It's amazing how we interact with each other, how we help each other are the very actions of God. As we seek to be a blessing to one another, as we seek to be a good church, a true church, to carry out these marks, he is praised. He's glorified. He's pleased. And that's what we do as Christians. This is how we seek to obey. These are the marks of the, the whole church. But as we'll see when we continue in this article, there are marks of Christians as well. Marks of Christians that are to perform these things towards each other, that they would take God's word and purely apply it that they would make proper use of the sacraments, that it would help and nourish their faith, that they would discipleship themselves and their neighbors, all for the sake of Christ. The marks of the church are means to an end, the end being strong faith in Christ, producing pure worship of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that directs and guides us. We thank you even for the church and what it can produce in confessions that helps us understand your word clearly and helps us to see what the true church is called to do, to proclaim your word in its purity, to administer sacraments in its purity, and to discipline. We pray that we would be such a church. May all of us here keep that prayer in mind praying for the leaders, praying for the broader assemblies and gatherings. We pray that in this way our faith would be strengthened and that you would be purely worshipped, which is our end goal. We pray this in Christ.